it was a big experience. It was a big experience about vulnerability and taking creative risks and trusting. You know, when things are given space to make themselves well, there's a genius in our way of being and, and manifesting that I'm learning to trust more. Mm-hmm. So this that's why the long intro, I was trying to make space for uh, making all this way of being legitimate because I think especially on the planet at this time, we're really being asked to um, be in the moment and be curious rather than um, fearful. In Anthesis, Sue Goyette excavates a new poem from her 2002 debut novel, Reclaiming Trauma in the Process. Halifax's 8th Poet Laureate stops by to talk healing, quarantine, Fiona Apple, and the city's instantly legendary agave plant. I'm Tara Thorne, and this is The Tideline. to start the show with good day because the days keep getting worse. Cases are climbing, community spread is here, and things are much more terrible than they were in the spring, and yet we're only doing half of the things we were doing then. You can see people's stress spiking already. They are already out of toilet paper at the Costco on the weekend. As rumors swirl about lockdown reapplied, all of our relaxed rules tightening up again. As I talk, the Atlantic bubble has just been popped. And you add holiday stress on top of all of that. We're all freaking out. And I certainly don't have any answers or admonishments, but I do want to acknowledge that shit's getting real real again. And I hope you're all safe and healthy and able to get what you need with minimal hassle. I would also like to see your Christmas trees. So tweet me some pictures at ThornyHFX. So unlike live radio, where you can easily add or subtract things up to the second you're on air, I used to do it live on air sometimes, we record the show a few days in advance. That means there's no way for us to keep up with COVID cases and the subsequent event postponements or cancellations that follow. So you'll have to use your own judgment and double check the info of anything you're interested in. I am sorry about that. Uh, I did mention a couple weeks ago that Neptune was managing to put up its annual one-person Christmas carol starring Reese Bevanjohn, and that is on now in the very large, socially distanced main stage theater. If you don't want to go out, you don't have to miss it, though. Neptune has also been piloting the Neptune at Home program, streaming various shows for the past couple months, including this one, and that is on until December 27th. Something that is very important to me is the bus stop theater. As a reporter, I covered its woes for most of my career. And of course, the big dramatic ending is that they pulled together the money at the last minute to buy their building, expand it, and make the North End better in the process. So on now is its annual holiday fundraiser, the bus stop theater basket auction. You're able to bid on baskets of cool stuff from member owners, including Halifax Fringe, Halifax Pride, 
Zupa Theater, Villains Theater, DePopo Theater, Center for Art Tapes, and many more. Hit up the busstoptheater.org or the Bus Stop's Facebook page to check out the baskets, bid, and support local culture and artists, and get some sweet gifts, which happen to also be local, for those you love. The auction is on until December 5th, and all funds raised will be going toward the Bus Stop's two new pilot programs, the Reconciliation and Reparations Fund, and the Sign Language Interpretation Subsidy. Again, that is on until December 5th. One of my favorite local foursomes, Villages, also known as Mardine, released a new EP last week. They are set to play the Halifax Harborfront Marriott on December 11th. This song has a sweet companion video directed by Melanie Stone. Find it on YouTube after you give this a listen. Here's Villages with the title track from its new EP, Upon the Horizon. Destination with the canteen compass and spade.
Poet Laureate Sue Goyette has lived through something a lot of artists have lived through in quarantine that is releasing a new work. But in her case, this new work is a riff on old work. She's here to tell us all about it. Joining me now in studio is Sue Goyette. We, we come together here at Auspicious Day where the bubble hath been popped. Yeah. And COVID cases are rising. They're higher than they've ever been. And we're doing half of the things we were doing in the beginning. Yeah. You kind of infamously have a, have this like diary. I read it before I came up um, <laughs> and in March and April. And it's it sort of, have you been keeping it all the way through? No, I lost words. Interesting. Yeah, I'm keeping thoughts. I'm thinking a lot, but I know I, I wish I did. But no, I'm not writing a diary. What I'm doing is writing kind of notes that I about something I want to write later about this. But I feel like the time became so compelling. I just started experiencing it. Mm. So I put my pen down literally just to be in it because this is a very like everybody says, you know, unprecedented. And we're all tired of that word. But, uh, you know, this is singular. Yeah. And recording it gives me uh, space to, I don't know, to make something legible. But I just want to feel it. And then I'll do something with it later for sure, because I've changed. We've all changed so yeah. much. Yeah. Living in the present. It's like never been harder because who wants to be here? Who wants to be here? And the body is so centered, you know, like we're always, well, I'm always like, is my throat sore? <laughs> I was doing the check, you know, like, am I breathing? Okay. Do I have a fever? You know, check for the fever. So I, I'm really in my body in a way that I'm not, I haven't been. And also I'm really busy teaching online, which takes up a lot more time than you'd think. Yeah, and a lot more energy than you would expect because I assume there's no um, there's no energy coming back to you. There's no yeah. I I really I realize what my like I recharge with spontaneity. I like when I say something. If I say something funny, which is a, the if or if there's no response, right? So there, you're right. There's no recharge, and also there's no. Um, I, I'm really missing spontaneity. I'm really missing that kind of conversational combustions we get when we're together. Mm. The collaboration that we do when we're talking, that kind of collective um, comedy and wisdom that happens when we're together yeah. because we're kind of genius contraptions on our own when we have the freedom to be who we are. And when we're afraid and kind of contained, we become different. I think it's like we become like rat, like lab rats, you know, like in some ways. Yeah. And I also think teaching online, I'm teaching asynchronous because that was suggested to me and I realized I should have been much more of a rebel about it and done synchronous and just what are it. these terms Synchro asynchronous means that I'm like uploading content oh every week. so not live essentially not live right so uh, I've changed a, a couple of things so I'm actually seeing students live and that's been really amazing but I just find we're all kind of in a room that's stale and because there's no set class time the class time actually has expanded to include every day of the week because there's always emails and stuff. So it's like, I've done nothing because that's what I'm doing. Oh, I do planks sometimes. Like push it, like yeah. with your arms? Yeah. How I long do, can you plank? I can't plank for long, but I'm up to 36 plank push-ups on my knees, but I'm doing them, which I was afraid I was going to break my nose when I started. So big yeah. for me. That's my big fear. So I do the yoga with Adrian, oh, and yeah. um, my mat's quite slippery, and yeah. I can't go to the winners to get a new one. Me too. Same. And I'm afraid my hands are going to slip yeah. out, and I'm going to land on my face. Yeah, I, it's a valid fear. <laughs> I have a fear. <laughs> And my yoga mat is disgusting because yeah, I can't change it. It's like ooh, it's like a sponge of sweat. You can clean them, but then it's like, how are you going to dry it? Well, and really, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
on my knees with a little brush, like the Lee Valley brush. No, no, I got enough things to do. So we are in a pandemic. <laughs> um, the last, the last diary entry that uh, that you had given to the coast was April second, and, and 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 it was about Dolly Parton. You said, "Is it just me, or is Dolly Parton everywhere right now?" Maybe you don't remember, but she's everywhere right now as we're oh, talking. Yeah, no, no, Dolly Parton is incredibly important to me. And here she has a million dollars funded the, the yeah. vaccine. And her Christmas special just was released on yeah. Sunday. <laughs> and her documentary on Netflix I've watched twice. Yeah, no, she's she's a force. And she's and she's just did a podcast with Brene. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. And she's a force. She's interesting. I went to Calgary a few years ago when I was having a really rough time in my every time I interviewed, I'm like, enduring a really rough time in my life, which occurs like, you know, <laughs> the trees are stones and the Flintstones, like nothing, <laughs> nothing tree, nothing, nothing stone. Another rough time for Sue. Um, but I went to Calgary and I was doing this, I was in an art co-op and I was doing workshops and I was by myself for the first time in a long time. And I just felt really vulnerable in the world. And there was a poetry reading one night that I was supposed to go to at the university. But Dolly Parton was playing uh, at the uh, big, uh, what's the stadium? Saddle Dome? Yeah. And I thought, you know, life is short. Yeah. Got a ticket. was way up high. We had a, like, I, I knew no one. But, it, like, by the end of the third song, we were, like, the best of friends. And it was the best thing I'd done. It was amazing to see her live. All the instruments she plays, the energy she has, the um, potency she gives storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's profound what she's doing. And she's just so, like, someone yelled, like, I love you, Dolly. She said, I told you to stay in the truck. <laughs> She's so quippy. I'm like, I'll have a tablespoon of you every day, Dolly. So, yeah, I have a lot of time for Dolly. I have a lot of time for people who just persist on being who they are. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a grace to that and a genius. And I just, there's not enough of them. Mm-hmm. So they're special. Yeah. Speaking of special, you had a special sort of situation where you've got this book that's very uh, deep and important and, and, and I presume took a lot of hard kind of plumbing the debts kind of work out yeah. of you yeah. and then you got faced with this you were faced with the situation of sort of releasing it literally into the ether yeah. I was at your I was at your online Facebook stream or whatever it yeah, was yeah. what was that experience like that was I mean as you know as an artist it's you know you work so hard at these things and and to put it out in a time where there's not that the Facebook um, event was amazing it was sponsored by the National Arts Center um, and over 3,000 people watched it Wow! for a poetry thing. That's something. And I, while I was doing it, I did get a sense, not of everyone out there, but of something out there. Like there, I felt the force of everybody. And I was really intrigued and, in, and it went on to write about this, um, the carbonation of all the emojis. Right. All the hearts that just carbonated up through the whole event became really, really um, important. It was like, oh, I can hear you out there. Um, doing this, writing this book was, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard. It took a lot of therapy and I'm glad I did it. It's profoundly huge for me in terms of, uh, my own geography or, you know, like it was epic for me. So I'm not as, I never get really too involved in what my books do in the world in that I'm not a great, uh, I don't self-promote. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. like the taste of it in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel a little like, uh, I don't know. Mm. Like not play tech, like fake fake leather, like pleathery. When I say buy my book, please, I have a box in my trunk. It's like whoa, throw up in my mouth. <laughs> so I just trust that my books find their way in the world, 
Right. And I can't do much about it. I'm, it's not like I'm in it for the money. <laughs> it's poetry. <laughs> I'm in it for the connection. And so I've gotten a few like really meaningful letters from people who've read it and, and it's made a difference to them. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And this is me like, lemonade, lem-, like, you know, what can you do? It's, I think a lot of us are in this position. Yeah. And what do we do? Like, how do we, I'd be in big trouble if I um, relied on uh, the kind of public response to define my sense of value or worth as an artist. Right. And so I learned not to do that a long time ago. So I'm okay that way. Mm -hmm. Like I know, okay, this is, I needed to do this book. It's important to me and on to the next. Right. Yeah. Once it's out there, you you really can't do anything about it. No. Um, So this, this book has quite a long introduction in in terms of you sort of explain where, where it came from, the process of it. I don't recall that happening in any previous works um so what was what was the sort of need driving that that five six page introduction that's at the start uh that's there for a couple of reasons um i i think that word procedure the process of this book is really important to its making and i wanted to make it legible because it felt to me like um it was I, i wanted to create a space that made articulate a way of re-narrating or reclaiming um, an experience that might have felt really traumatizing and how to use those experiences to kind of reformat the idea of who and how we are, Mm. given that our identity is always recharging and renewing. So I wanted to create a path because I had never encountered that path except through therapy over years and like different um, radical feminist theory about trauma that I'd read for a degree I did but I hadn't really encountered it plainly and I just wanted to put it on paper for anyone uh, who has experienced any kind of early trauma or any trauma because it's kind of trauma's crazy making in that it's it's the episode that that is traumatic but then it kind of resurfaces like a you know like a plant it just kind of seeds itself along and keeps reappearing in ways that I kept forgetting it was connected to that original episode. And I just kept thinking like, oh, here I am having another hard time. Mm. And I wanted to make something fluid or create a circuitry that made sense of all those hard times and understand that it was a consequence of something and therefore containable and something I could work with. And you mentioned a plant. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I mentioned talk, the plant. <laughs> talk about your love of the agave, please. The agave. Well, so I guess I, I have to give a bit of background. I was I went back to school. I didn't I don't have an undergrad degree. I've always felt dented by institutions. I don't trust them. I'm kind of As you're employed by one. That's a, yeah. Easy killer. <laughs> It's a live mic in front of you. Um, I just, I mean, I think there's great people in institutions, but I think that the format of institutions and the policies that they, you know, try to keep up aren't always uh, plugged into the best interest of the people that um, animate them. So there's that. Um, I went back to school. I went to grad school. I did a women and gender studies uh, program. I read a ton about oppression to the point where I realized how eloquent uh, the machinery of oppression is mm-hmm. and how nearly impossible it is to break it because how we, we've we all kind of um, embodied and perform oppression without even knowing it. And we're seeing that with like white body supremacy in terms of Black sure. Lives Matter and stuff. Yeah. And feminism, like, you know, the patriarchy, how so many women kind of have taken on 
a kind of uh, misogyny without even realizing it yeah. and naming it different things. So I became very dismayed at how eloquent the system of oppression was and how it manifests in all ways and its circuitry, how, how well-oiled a machine it is, that I got really kind of, I felt really dismayed. And I didn't know how to get out of bed. It was just like, well, how, how do we do this? So that timed and chimed with the public gardens putting out an agave that was starting to bloom unexpectedly, crookedly, because it bolted and hit the ceiling. So it was a mess of a plant they put out far too early. And I felt great kinship to this plant. <laughs> I thought, you crooked little green thing. <laughs> Will you be my mother <laughs> or my sister or my teacher or whatever? So I visited it every day because, one, it got me out of bed, literally. And two, I was interested in just seeing what would that long durational kind of experience teach me. Mm -hmm. So I visited it and I've been thinking, I, I use the word wild a lot, like it was a source of wildness and how it manifested and it grew into like really strange shapes that people would make fun of. Like it was very, <laughs> it was very phallic at one point. It was very like asparagus at one point. It was, um, and I was posting photos of it on uh, Facebook and people started like following the photos and I think the plant kind of represented something in the middle of our city that I still think about mm -hmm. it was a shared experience it was collective and the plant was manifesting as it wanted to so I say wildness but I'm thinking sometimes that's freedom mm. and there's you talk about this in in the intro that you you and the gardener at the public gardens were interviewed at the same time about the future, and the gardener thought it was dead. Oh, yeah. And you were like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. The head gardener. She's like, well, just being there every day, I got a lot of gossip. Like, you know, one of the gardeners like, you know why it's bolted. I'm like, no. He said, well, somebody broke the crate last year. And so, like, when a plant is threatened, it will flower or green harder because it's threat. It's thinks it's dying. So, botanically, it's wired to living. And so I was like, oh, so it's kind of like it was broken. He goes, yeah, but they don't talk about that. So there's all these, <laughs> there was all these, like, gossip around the plant. And the head gardener's like, oh, like, when they first put it out, they, like, had gowned it in a white sheet. I don't know if you remember that. And they said they had heater lights in it to keep it warm because it was really frosty. I think that was the, the, the spring that a lot of farmers lost their apple orchards and stuff because of the frost in the valley. And they said, oh, no, there's lights in it. And I asked one of the gardeners who's working in the cactus bed, and he was like, oh, no, there's not lights in that. There's lights in the banana or the palm or something, <laughs> but not in this one. And I was like, oh, dastardly, they lied about the heat. <laughs> so I was really, I was kind of caring for this plant. I was worried about it. And, and I watched every day, and there was a green froth around the top of it that the head gardener, she thought it just had died, yeah. And I said, no, it was so funny. She's like, it's dead. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know much about this. And that's when I should have shut up. But it was not dead. And I was glad, glad to see it kind of unfurl <laughs> in its weird way. Did you have a routine of going to see it? Yeah. How, what was the routine, if you, if you feel? I just, well, I just, I got up and I would sometimes bike, depending on my energy. I was pretty low energy. I started going back to therapy. I just felt that, that, um... When something doesn't change and it's oppressive, that is the bottom bad feeling, I think. That is utter dismay in the human condition. When you can see the oppression, you feel it, and there's no way of thinking you can change it. Mm. And I think a lot of things were happening in the world, and it represented or replicated my early life experience. So I just thought, oh, oh, like the taint of it, the taste of it. So I let myself go there. I, w I didn't get too strict about it because I couldn't or I wouldn't have done it. So I just, I meandered there when I did some days. 
It was like before the gardens closed. Some days it was first thing in the morning. But I got there every day. There were times when I left the city and I got other people to take a photo so that there was a, a kind of... Um, like a witness? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which feels... Talking about it now sounds really strange. But it became this thing. And my family, my partner was really good about supporting it. It was like, you know, it was just became part of our daily... It's like, are you doing supper tonight? Yeah. Have you done your agave? No, not yet. <laughs> like it was embedded in our daily routine. And I really, I really, um, I appreciated that support because it was, it became really meaningful. It became a kind of uh, company that was replicating what I was trying to do in that, with those feelings, like trying to bloom nonetheless. Right. And how long would you stay with it? Depends. I'd have amazing conversations sometimes, mostly with women, mm -hmm. women and young women, old women, kids. I had amazing conversations. So if I was talking to someone, there were people who were in, in the hospital and they would, their daily walks would be to the agave. And we talked about stuff like mortality and things and things that are growing. And the, the plant, you know, has that amazing, it blooms once and then it dies mm -hmm. and it blooms at around 40. So a lot of women talked to me about friends they had lost at that age to breast cancer or different kinds of cancer. And everyone that talked about the plant referred to it as a she, which I found interesting. It's like I was trying to do the they, <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt like there was something happening and it was defying like anything quick or in a hurry. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't instant. It was long. It wow. was long. I took like over 200 photos. I was that visited like, yeah, about 240 something times. And did you take a bunch of photos or did you just take one? Yeah, no, I always took a bunch right. of photos. They're all on my computer. <laughs> uh, I've made slideshows. I've done lectures about creativity and play using it as a kind of metaphor. And then the, the I mean, the Halifax Garden is an amazing place and the people who work there are great. They did this thing where they're like, sign up for the seeds. So I signed up and then and they said when it was clear that the plant was starting to die, they said, we're going to just let it die naturally. And I thought, well, that's really respectful and great. And then I happened to turn up one day or I didn't. I, I was on my way there and on Facebook they posted this man with a tiny axe chopping it down. Oh. And so they didn't like didn't really consider that they had initiated this amazing event in the middle of the city and that people were actually uh, invested in it to just chop it down without letting people know there were a lot of people who were really upset and their photos were like it's kind of like uh, that that uh, big animal like hunt you know the guy's foot on the giraffe <laughs> it's like the big stock of the agave on the ground and the dude smiling with his axe and I thought oh no Halifax. Uh, did you get a seed no. Did you Be want one? Yeah, I want. Uh, they I can't, got, how did they? I, there were a hundred, right? Why did they not just give you one? They people lined up. They told people like the list dissolved. It didn't matter yeah. that list, so people lined up and they went really fast. And then um, I I emailed and said, "Hey, I was on a list," and some friend of the garden said, "Yeah, I'll get you a seed." And then I never heard from them. And then COVID, you know, like it just got the the correspondence was long and then COVID happened and then someone Facebooked me out of the blue a student from Dell who had an agave plant who wanted to give it to me because mm -hmm. they I didn't know this person and I thought that was so kind but then COVID did happen and I had never heard from this person again wow but I think maybe they're okay. listening yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's hope a little world out there reconnect <laughs> I'm okay without that like it's it was the experience I don't need a, an actual agave like I still have mm -hmm. I am gonna get a I want a tattoo. Like, I have tattoos, but I need a new tattoo of the agave, like a big one up, on my arm. Like crawling up? Yeah. Climbing up? But it, everybody's books are closed, so if you're a tattooer out there. <laughs> <laughs> the 
There might be like people that will come to your house. Yeah, or or to their place, but and, yeah. you know, like socially dis well, socially distance. But anyway, I really want a tattoo, and <laughs> we're I just putting with- we're doing the secret all over yeah. this episode, just things that you need. I just yeah, this is this is what I need a tattoo because I feel like it's really important. It taught me a lot that plant or I, or going there and watching something for a long time, not giving up on it. Mm-hmm. That taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. It ta- it changed the way I look at people, and the way I look at all kinds of things. It cha- it taught me it it made things complex for me. Wow. I like you know when you think of the cancel culture stuff like that. I just like it made things complex for me. I thought oh there's more to any story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine uh, revisiting old work is always hard, <laughs> in in any creative yeah. capacity. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of revisiting something that's that happened to you as well. It's not just like, here's this book I wrote yeah. about a yeah. train caper. <laughs> oh, I wish I hadn't talked, used so many train puns. Like, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> wow, I really got the locomotion. <laughs> the words sound like the train. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, it says right on the book why you why you did it. Your therapist suggested going yeah. back through and, and excavating and uh yeah. um what I mean and, and you know feel free to say as much as you're comfortable with with saying but did you read it through first did you read the book yeah did you need to uh yeah no I didn't read the book to read the book what I did was I, I read it when I was choosing the words that were still kind of thrumming the words mm. that were defying the narrative a lot of things got stirred up it was the same summer as that documentary about Michael Jackson oh yeah and those two guys talking about Mm. how they were so in the thickness of the 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 trauma they didn't even realize how manipulated they were Mm -hmm. and that like threw something on that that was hard to watch because all of a sudden something made a lot of sense in my life like how I have been so it was like when I was telling my therapist then, and I said, I wrote a novel. And he, he was, he, I love my therapist. I, I really do. Like, I love all my therapists in that they're such trusty uh, trail guides. Like, they, they, I love the courage of someone who's really attuning to someone's experiencing, experience and able to name the things that need to be said, even if it's hard. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing yeah. that work yeah, as no. a life I would love choice. to do that work, but yeah, it would be really difficult. And I think, you know, you're not as emotionally involved, so it's easy to just like, hey, have you considered this? But he said something interesting in that how when we make something uh, in our art that is pros- processing something difficult without actually having processed the difficulty, uh-huh. we, make the ex- we make elegant the experience we make it articulate and it relieves us of actually having to deal. Mm-hmm. So in the past, my writing has been, you know, like I started writing in grade seven when I was operatic and the world was, I was, you know, fucked. <laughs> like I smoked a lot of hash, listened to Hendrix and the world, like what is the matter with all these boys was essentially every <laughs> poem. And they were weird and, you know, and, and got really spacier the more drugs I did, like really spacey. And then I, I, I got straightened out, which was I'm really grateful for because I was not heading in a great place. But my poems were always um, ways of me opening the window of myself and letting the smoke out. It was how I kind of relived and kind of processed stuff. This novel I wrote 
um, came, I tried to write it. I, it. It presented itself, and I just assumed it was poems. So I was writing poems, and I went to Banff working with them. And a person I was working with, one of my mentors, who I trust, said, uh, they're interesting in that diabolical way where you know, like, oh, God. A big assignment's coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm barking up the wrong tree. And then one day, um, I just let I just wrote across the page and realized that my pace was wrong. I was trying to constrain the the telling t- in in short lines, and this wanted to be a narrative. And so once the pace changed, um, the the story galloped out of me, and it felt like I was processing something at the time. It felt like I was relieve, reliving relieving myself of something and reliving something. So I thought it was big but what I didn't do the work of was as soon as it was published and it was published by HarperCollins so it was a big deal mm-hmm. and I went to like Harborfront to launch it and you know if when you read at Harborfront you, it, the light is so bright you don't see how many people but you know there's a lot of people there's a green room they pay you like it's a big deal and I realized it was the first time I was going to read from the book and I realized I hadn't really reckoned with that that migration or journey from private and the revelry the great the the force it felt writing it to actually the exposure of reading it mm-hmm. and that's when i realized i was in over my head and it also got trashed before it got published in a review oh. trashed in quill and choir by a writer like immediately my agent phoned and said oh yeah she her book just got rejected from harper collins so there's a little bit of and i thought but it was trashed in a way that i was devastated because right. of what it represented so I wasn't I wasn't in a great place. So I just clammed up like the frog in Bugs Bunny. I realized that's the second Flintstones and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> my sources of Hanna Barbera <laughs> intellectual discourse. Um, but I just clammed up. I couldn't I, I, I didn't really I didn't. Well, I don't I don't do a lot of self-promotion just by my nature, but I didn't really talk about this book a lot. I just and then sept- September 11th, 9-11 happened. So I was relieved of it, which I thought was interesting, given this came out in, in a COVID, like a pandemic. Like, yeah, that book was kind of uh, cut short because of 9-11. I was going I went to Toronto to meet Little Brown. We were talking about like publishing it in the States. And then September 11th just dried everything up. Yeah. And then um, so here we are almost 20 years later. And uh, when my therapist suggested that the work that I had thought I had done by writing it, actually those emotions and consequences of the experience hadn't really been processed and I should go think about that so I I, I went back and thought okay um this is this is going to take some courage and it it did it was it was really hard and I don't mean that like you know artistically dramatically and operatically hard it was just really hard to Mm. to read what I'd written and to see the the contour of hope that I had tried to scribe like the and it was full of hope and it was full of, uh, it was, a, it was still alive. I was still impressed that I'd pulled it off. Like yeah. I, I still thought, and, and I was writing it. I was, you know, a single, a new single parent. I, my marriage had just broken up. I was writing this novel in a really hard time. Another Sugoi at hard time, TM. <laughs> <laughs> when we had breakfast for supper a lot. Um, and my kids complained about me not having, giving them a lot of attention because I was writing. So what I ended up doing was at supper time would read them what I wrote every day. And they were old enough to understand what the story was about. I don't know if they understood that it was autobiographical, but they understood the story. And so when the ending came of that story, my daughter just stopped talking to me for a couple of days because she thought as an adult, I didn't end it very well for the children. Uh. <laughs> so it was like a little editorial 
we had a, a lot of great talks about stories and endings. Um, anyway, so going back was, I didn't read it again, but what I did was um, I kind of listened with my whole body for the words that wanted to be picked. Mm-hmm. And understood, like I, I understood, I used a lot of the same words. <laughs> I could see my my lexicon was uh, there was a lot of trees, a lot of trains, a lot of weather. <laughs> yeah, a lot of nature. Yeah. Well, I lived outside uh, to get out of my house. I essentially started hanging outside when I was thirteen and and hung out on. A, I lived in a small town that had a really great mountain with lots of lakes, and I found a posse of misfits, and we just hung out in the in the woods every night because mm-hmm. it was better than being at home. So I've always been really. Um, more in tune to outside than inside. So the words that you pulled out, the way that they are constructed now, is that is that all brand new construction? No, they're in the same order they were in the book. So, and in that way, they created their own frequency or, or, mm. or um, they created, they, it's kind of an, they broke from a narrative, like a normative narrative to create their own. It's like water. They made their own way. Yeah. And they scared me because I had to trust them. I didn't, I wasn't trying to tell anything. I just wanted to see what those words strung together as they appeared would tell me. So it was a really, um, it was a big experience. It was a big experience about vulnerability and taking creative risks and trusting. You know, when things are given space to make themselves well, there's a genius in our way of being and and manifesting that I'm learning to trust more. Mm Mm-hmm. So this, that's why the long intro, I was trying to make space for uh, making all this way of being legitimate, because I think especially on the planet at this time, we're really being asked to um, be in the moment and be curious rather than um, fearful. Yeah. Because when I, I recently went to the hospital for a check, a, a, an appointment, like a, a test, and I was really afraid and I didn't know what to expect and I, I couldn't find parking and I went in and they took my blood pressure and it was really high. It was something like 140 over 100 and I don't have high blood pressure. And I was like, holy shit. And I was really scared and they literally, I was like lying on the table. My feet were in the stirrups and they were telling me, so this is going to be really painful and you won't be able to do anything for five days. And I was like, I just looked at my, I had my feet, I had unicorn <laughs> socks on, unicorn and narwhal socks. And I just looked at them. And I'm like, you know, I said to the doctor, I'm just not feeling this today. <laughs> And I got up on the out. table, got wow. dressed, and left. And then I went, they they rescheduled it. They were very kind, and I, they rescheduled it two weeks later, and I went back. And I was more prepared, and I re, and I, cha- I tried to figure out how to change the fear to just curiosity and also to empathy for all the lineups of women, you know, like in front of the breast clinic, in front of, like this is like, this was like the women's clinic, and it just felt like a room full, lots of rooms of women waiting to hear results or being tested. And I just try to replace all the feelings I had with kindness and my blood pressure was literally like 79 over 90. And it was like a totally different experience. And it was mm-hmm. almost like night and day. And I thought, there's something something to this. Yeah. There's something to this. And that, you know, people like are using the word mindfulness a lot. But it is a practice or a process. And it means every time you're, you're you know, facing something, you have to choose how you're going to be in it. Yeah. And I mean, you chose to publish this. So it was an, an exercise Yeah. at first. Was was the intent always that that it it would be a book? No, it it was part of my thesis, which was is about trauma, um, and I used the creative way of mani- make, making meaning to kind of break an institutional um, traditional thesis. So I wanted to use poetry, 
But then, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by people who do speak their truths for how they keep such good company. Uh, like the people I've admired and have given me strength. You know, we were talking about Dolly Parton, but, you know, there's a lot of Sinead O'Connor being in a hotel room talking through a manic episode. Um, people who, who break their silence. My therapist has taught me how breaking silence is a way of healing because it's not, you understand when you break your silence that it's not who you are. It's a consequence of something that's happened to you. Mm. And that's a really pivotal shift. So this is kind of, like I grew up in a pretty hard house and I always used books for company. And the books I read and the poems I read kind of lent me a dignity and gave me company um, when I didn't feel like I had any. So I think all of my work, but specifically this book, um, has been kind of giving back to that company because I know how important, you know, holding something in your hand and reading something that seems to be singularly talking to you is yeah. when no one else sees you. So it's like, this is my life work. So when I realized, oh, this is how I can actually contribute and serve, well, I'm happy to do so. And you can see how when you work that way, talking about money and promoting just feels like pesticide. Yeah. Well, um, I'll get you to read something in a second, but I want to just uh, go to one final topic, which is a record that I know we both that. <gasps> yeah, you know what it is. <laughs> they just found her, right? They just found Shamika. Um, so, yes, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Now, I have to admit that Fiona Apple was someone I struggled with in the, in the 90s, and I'm realizing now um, it was the media's fault, yeah. my, my beloved media, yeah. and how they, you know, put her naked, basically naked on the cover of Spin, and they're like, look at this yeah. little nymph. Yeah. And, you know, I was, Tori Amos is one of my heroes, and I was like, oh, that's bad, Tori. You right. know, and you can't have two women in the same space. So I really, I struggled with Fiona for a, for a long time. I kind of, she wasn't a, a, a consequential artist for me, even, even though, you know, you hear Extraordinary Machine, you're like, well, she's obviously a musical genius. Uh, but here comes this record that felt that, you know, they wanted her to wait and put it out in October, which, again, it wouldn't have worked. And she was just like, no, I'm not I'm not waiting. I'm not following your little cycles. I'm putting this record out. And it and it touched a nerve. Yeah. And I, I have shivers just like, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah. And, you know, I would see men talking about it and I would kind I never said anything, but it's sort of like. This isn't for you. This isn't yours. Like, why yeah. do you? Why are you opining on this? Talk yeah. amongst yourselves. Yeah. Do not tweet about Fiona Apple yeah. men. Yeah. Um, or too so, soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Let us bask. Um, so, what about the record um, connected with you? Oh, so much. You know, th in some ways, that record is a great example for me of art made or anything made before COVID and after. Mm -hmm. And I know she made it before, like, you know, but there's um, there's a vitality in her truth saying and her vision that has such potency that I don't know how we're going to go back. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> like I don't want to hear about, you know, the ways that we sear up hard things or we invent material to, you know, fill this like what John Cage, the sound buckets of a, a song. I want I want to be talked to at this level because shit is going down on this planet mm -hmm. and I don't have time to listen to things that have been conformed to a kind of formal way of so there's a lot of women that I I just basically listen to women now mm -hmm. and I don't there's great men and I don't want to stir like there's absolutely great men I shrug you can't see it I know but I, I think there <laughs> I, I like my partners I think there's a lot of great men who are beginning to get it yeah 
And I think that, you know, they are too part of the patriarchy and have been kind of um, taught not to have emotions or show their emotions. And I think that that's a real loss for all of us. And I think we're beginning to see a real shift in that way of being. But there's some ladies that I just couldn't live without. And she's definitely the top, like, you know, Dolly, her, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Sharon Van Etten. Mm -hmm. Like these women are like vitamins to me because Mm -hmm. I'm not a singer, but there's something about raising your voice and, and like, it's like getting into the current of music that I just, I, it, it speaks to all of my body. Mm-hmm. And uh, that record came out. It's funny because I wrote a book, Penelope, um, from the point of view of Penelope and Odysseus, the epic, the epic of um, Odysseus. And that, that writing was accompanied by uh, Lemonade. Right. Like, I just had Beyonce. I, I would listen to Beyonce every day. Because that record did something that now is still good, but it feels a little stale, which is weird. <laughs> and I don't mean like it's bad writing. It just feels like it's of another time. It's like there's a, something between yeah. the time before COVID and now that it's changed. And I don't, I, I don't, that's why I haven't been writing it because I don't want to write it too soon. I want to let it. A friend of mine went camping once and she saw this thing swimming towards her and she thought, oh, a raccoon, no, a badger, no, a you know, like a muskrat, no, and it, she was by herself in Algonquin, and she couldn't figure out what it was, and it finally got close, and it kind of stopped and shook, and it stood up, and it was a young moose, oh. and she said nothing could have told her it was, a moose was swimming to her, and I feel like that's why I haven't really, I mean, I've, I've been keeping notes, but I haven't really wanted to name this too soon, because it's still swimming. Yeah. A friend of mine, um, who's my age, so like we're in our early 40s, and she said, you know, it also was the sound of someone, and I know you have kids, but like, like a, an older woman, childless, who's made different choices. And yeah, you can make music that's banging on pots and pans while your dogs bark. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to like change your environment to conform to like the ideal of, yeah, no. That she, I love how she broke. She just, she manifested the way the agave did in yeah. that liberated way that nobody told her to be anything but herself. She took herself on and made herself and it doesn't sound like anything Nothing. in the best way. In the best. It's I new. feel like people will rip it off next year. So Absolutely. You're going to hear a bunch of and book cutter ripoffs. I, I, I want to say that that's okay. I think that when people go back and like kind of re- you know use something as a resource, we maybe like incrementally push our own art a quarter of an inch forward. And I think that that's an okay thing. And it's complimentary and all that. Sure. References and inspiration is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear what you're saying. Okay, yeah, I get you. Okay, yeah, I Listen, know. Listen, yeah, some of us sound like the 90s. <laughs> I know, I get we it. We can't it's help true. it. That's true. So I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you no. would like to finish your Please. thought. No, I love that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's don't. isn't it interesting when we're in the company of something that has just been named? You know, the, the poet George Oppen said, naming something is an act of love. Yeah. And I feel like her courage was love for all of us. Like, this is not okay, she was saying. This is not cool. Ladies, 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 ladies. (laughs) Fetch the bolt cutters. Like, yeah. And even the um, good morning, good morning, you rate me in the bed that your daughter was born. And she like frames it. It's not buried in a little chorus throat. It's like, it's a chant. It's meant to be yelled back to her live. Yeah. You know, I just, I can't imagine. Well, to me, like that, like just poetically, I can hear the ritualistic kind of like the the rhythm of it, the sonic pace of that. Mm-hmm. Like the she uses repetition in a really interesting way, and I don't want to like create discourse about her, <laughs> but she's doing something that's really 
embodied. Yeah. Like I feel that record in a way that I don't feel a lot of records. Like I, when I, it needs to be loud. Yeah. You need to hear the whole thing in one sitting. All sitting. Phoebe's like that too. You yeah. can't just take a couple tracks. You can't shuffle that yeah. shit. <laughs> there, that is gaining momentum. And that is creating its own kind of shape as it as it makes its way in into the world every time, and every time it changes the room I'm in. Like every right. time, like it it spices the room I'm in and it awakens me. And not a lot of things do that. Mm-hmm. Like when things do that, they're precious. You know, like there were moments in Fleabag. I'm like, could you just pop, pop, can we pause this? <laughs> <laughs> like she freaks me out. Like there are people who are like singular and are just managing to pull off themselves in ways that aren't being contaminated by the ways they think they should be. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. And those are the people like I lean towards Bowie, I lean towards Prince, I learned lean Dolly. Yeah. I mean even she her quips are kind of upholstering a hospitality around her just being herself. Wow. Can we all do that? And so what is our pain when we're not allowed to be ourselves? Wow. Mm. How can we change that? I mean, so I think um yeah, Fiona's like a, a she's a, a worthy and sacred furnace for me. She heats me up. Wow. Well, I could talk to you till the pandemic ends. So You want it? We probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> I know. Here we go again. We're going into isolation. How do you cope in isolation? What's your thing? My thing? Yeah. Oh geez. You know, I um I I had a roommate until oh. July. Yeah. And I got, I had to ask her to leave, and it and it felt really terrible oh. uh, because we had a good relationship. I have an open concept apartment. It was just too small for two people. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was, it, it it was in the early days of um of not going anywhere, which is what we should be doing now, but aren't. Yeah. Um, you know, like it was just like okay, we wake up and we do this again, and we have things delivered to the house. And she's like, she's a cool person, but I just, it was just too much, yeah. and so I had this whole plan where I was like okay you have to time it out you have like once things loosened up I'm like okay she can go look for an apartment and the stress of it the day after I asked her to do that and she was totally cool it was totally fine my right eye filled up with blood wow (laughs) that's mythic I look like a low rent Marvel villain with especially with my mask on at the grocery store you know what people like to talk to me and i don't care for it so it was really <laughs> it really rejected everyone handy i'm evil <laughs> um so that that wow. yeah so that i'm learning to like be alone and so i talked to my cat a lot yeah the other thing that happened is you may have heard i had an incident in the summer in which i lost a job yeah that. and that turned into more work as it turns out um uh, within a, within four weeks, like August tenth was the day. By Labor Day, I had this show, I had a movie, I had a book, and I had a record. So I'm working a lot. <laughs> well, and and you see how it's not interesting. This is like that aligns with what we're talking about. In that, like you got fired, and at that moment, it felt must have felt like the end of the world. I wanted to Terrible. die. Yeah. And how th- that this is the thinking behind the process of this book and my thesis is how those chaos is actually opportunity that's been yeah. is pixelating and hasn't taken form yeah and if we can reframe our thinking about it to make it more because each thing you just mentioned like asking your roommate to leave you know you're losing your job it's like you you manifesting to be who you are yeah like it takes great courage to say this is what i need to someone yeah. whose needs aren't the same yeah and you know i'm 41 and i just feel like a late bloomer and it's like frustrating but there's nothing i can do about it now it's like you're 41 you can't rush a rabbit <laughs> So I'm kind of like, damn it. Why didn't, you know, I just look back and I go, oh, is this wasted time? 
I don't know. Oh, I don't no. know. I don't think. I think that I know because I'm like fifty. Blah, 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 and <laughs> I'm just getting this. I'm like, what? yeah, yeah. And I think that's just we can't see it until we see it. And I, I think you know, like getting upset with ourselves. I, I get it, but I think a lot of it, a lot of that is like how the new age mind and mindful. I mean, in the commercial way, has kind of um, pirated the real work and and long practice becoming a, a awake and caring and fun in that in that real playful uh way have a human like it's so marketed that there's calendars you know ticking off your mindfulness yeah and we're not doing it fast enough so whenever i hear someone saying it took me so long it's like yeah you're breaking the system and right. the system has been in place for a long time and we're right at the edge of like like neoliberal capitalism is not serving us mm. anymore. What's going to change? And I love like Fred Moten, the poet saying like, you can't change this. You can't change this. We got to start something new. And that's really interesting to me. And that's where I like, I like that there's people like you, like people making art because that's where the, and, and, you know, um, Fiona having the courage to do something new that people don't even know how to talk about. That's the edge of the knowing, right? That's where I want to, there's a great French poet who was in the French resistance. He's one of my favorite poets, René Char. And he said, be in the leap, not in the feast afterwards. That's the epilogue. Wow. I know. And I think. Ah, the French. <laughs> ah, the French and the resistance. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Baguette. Um, but he, that's tr- We're in the leap right now. Yeah. We're, it's All together. Yeah. We're we- in the leap. Mm-hmm. And it's scary as f, eh? Mm. You can swear on the show. We don't care. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I like a good like. <laughs> I like yeah. a good fun. And there you go. That's, well, that's by Super Yet. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it feels weird to ask you to pivot into a reading after yeah, that, that, but no, I would. I, I would love it. That's what I do. Can I? Do you have anything? Or do I you have want some to... things earmarked, but you can do whatever you want. I can. Let me look at the earmarked ones to see if they're okay. I'm gonna read like. Two, is that okay? Yes. Okay. She straightened her girl and ran. Her shame was right behind her at the edge of her breath. The sound of dead leaves sneered. Where is the last thing she didn't want to know? Panic clawed the emergency. The green winter flinched and waited for the dark to stop talking. Now a different landscape knew her. This recognition sent a glimmer back to her in smoke. Once the old service moved to the edge, she couldn't see the fear. What the fuck are you up to? She was tempted to trust her anger and threw a knife. So amazing, the hollow silence, the occasional thaw, and realizing how stupid she had been. She was surprised by the land of her noise. Even her breathing sounded bare, everything herding into wild. She was looking right at the panic, and the quiet knowing held her down. Out and under, under and open over and in and scared i didn't like protecting girls i <laughs> that's a big one yeah <laughs> there i am <laughs> and hey you're also the the poet laureate what I an am. auspicious time to be the poet laureate what are your assignments um, what do they want from you um it's an interesting time because there's not a lot of public public events mm-hmm. and i'm not that kind of poet anyway so i was kind of afraid like tree lighting what would i say <laughs> oh glory tree <laughs> it's too late for you um boil your sap i i don't know uh well i i held a really good conversation i hosted a conversation with um 
former poet laureates. So we had our first there. conversation, yeah. and that was really interesting. We're having another one in February. I'd love to start uh, some writing opportunities for young writers or people who would like to get back in touch with their creativity for this time. So we're talking about that. Um, and I think I'm going to write a poem for the new year to like welcome 2021 because 2020, oh boy, here's your hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming. The Thank new book you. is Anthesis. Yeah. And you can d- order it directly from the publisher, which Absolutely. is a local publisher, Gaspro Press. That's where I got it. I got them to mail it to me. Nice. Also, our indies, our independent bookstores. Yes. Yeah. Bookmark. And King's Co-op. Yep. Yep. We'll have it. And they bike bookmark to your house with books. So. Yes, they do. <laughs> Makes a depressing Christmas gift. <laughs> yes, but the kind that needs a blanket, so... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and chocolate. So it's like a win-win. There you go. And you're doing something nice for a local press. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's a pretty pink. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. All I love just, when, when I used to work at the coach, we would get uh, collections. Like, mm-hmm. Gaspar would send its whatever season of books. I just like touching them. Yeah. Actually, I have earmarked some and I felt bad because the paper stock is so nice. Oh, the paper stock, no doubt, was made by wasps <laughs> chewing and chewing and spitting. <laughs> the special wasps. Yeah, it's a very beautiful paper. Uh, uh, all right. Nice to end on an up note. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Happy COVIDing. Thanks, Sue. So great to see you. Thanks for this, Tara. Jameson at the Golden Palm and produced by the Halifax Examiner.